0: Trade Bites, Bites. the podcast about trade policy. Hello and welcome once again to Trade Bites, the podcast series by the UK Trade Policy Observatory at the University of Sussex and hosted by me, Chris Horseman, Deputy Editor of the Trade Policy News Service, BorderLex. In each of our podcasts in this series, we've been putting on our metaphorical aprons and applying some elbow grease to the dusty old sash window that is UK trade policy. And in today's Trade Bites, we're consulting our own experts on the subject of the UK government's consultation on tariffs. Back in early February, the Department for International Trade announced that it was seeking the views of stakeholders on what sort of tariffs the UK should apply on its imports of goods. As an EU member state, the UK applied the same tariffs as the rest of the EU. But as from next year, we'll be out of the EU Customs Union, and the UK can do pretty much what it likes, tariff-wise. So, according to the narrative, global Britain can tear away the protectionist trappings of the EU and embrace the free market at last. But hang on, is that what we actually want? Might Britain's manufacturing and agricultural industries actually want to retain some tariff protection against cheaper imports from overseas? What might happen if we didn't? Is the EU really as protectionist as is often made out? DIT's consultation period is now over, so what will the government do with the probably conflicting recommendations that it receives from different stakeholders? And how do UK import tariffs actually affect businesses, consumers, and the UK economy? Offering their views and insights on these questions, and no doubt many more, we have yet another fantastic lineup of guests on Trade Bites today. Joining us here in Brighton is Julia Mantorn Garrett, Research Assistant in the Economics of Brexit at the UK Trade Policy Observatory. We're joined also by Professor Rodney Ludemer, Professor of Economics at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and Associate Fellow of the UK Trade Policy Observatory. Also with us is Ali Renison, Head of EU and Trade Policy at the UK Institute of Directors. And we're joined too by Sue Davis, Head of Consumer Protection and Food Policy at the independent consumer organisation WICH. Many thanks to all of you for joining us today. Julia, if I can start with you, let's start at the very beginning. What are tariffs? What's the UK's current tariff structure? And why is the Department for International Trade thinking of reviewing it all?
1: Well, tariffs are essentially taxes on imported products. So they're paid by the importers to the customs authority of the country that is imposing the tariff. So in that case, in the UK's case, that's HMRC. And as you said in your introduction... A crucial part of being a member of the EU is that as an EU member, you're part of the EU's customs union. So that means that all EU countries lever the same tariff on imported products. In other words, they have a common external tariff. Now, this consultation comes about because after the transition period, since the UK is currently not seeking to be in a customs union with the EU, the UK will have its own independent tariff schedule after the transition period. So that perhaps is an opportunity for the UK to tailor its tariffs to better suit perhaps the UK's needs and priorities and to show that the UK really has an independent trade policy. I think one thing to bear in mind is what we're talking about is what's called the most favoured nation tariff. So that's a tariff that's levied on countries which have no preferential trade agreement in place with the UK or the EU. And that's important to keep in mind because currently the majority of the UK's imports come from countries that don't face this MFN tariff. For example, more than half of the UK's imports currently come from the EU, which, of course, at the moment, don't face any tariffs. And a further 15% come from countries with trade agreements in place with the UK. So overall, only a relatively small proportion of UK's imports currently face these MFN tariff. And the final point to make is that the EU's MFN tariff is already pretty low. And in fact, around half of the UK's imports from those countries that face this MFN tariff are in products where the MFN tariff is already zero.
0: Now, we told the WTO that we were going to be basically copying and pasting the EU's own tariff schedule. So so how does this interact with that WTO binding?
1: Well, what we're talking about today is applied MFN tariffs. So they don't affect the bound tariff rates. And that's made clear in the consultation document. So the applied tariff rates can actually change. So you can't change whatever you have bound at the WTO. You can't go any higher than what you've bound at the WTO, but you can go lower. And that's what the DIT is considering to do.
0: Ali Rennison, why do tariffs matter for businesses? What could the changes make for businesses in Britain?
2: Just the sort of the the very question that you ask goes to the heart of the fact that the UK is not in a normal circumstance, no matter how much other people may speak about the fact that what they want is something standard with other countries. And when you talk about how the UK approaching its applied tariffs after Brexit, after Brexit proper, I should say, after the transition period ends, this sort of set of factors that they're looking at are actually quite vast. Normally speaking, you would have a sort of a a basic dichotomy between businesses who are producing goods who do not want what they would consider to be unfair competition coming in. So basically that the government would remove tariffs on goods that were already producing in the UK because they would want to potentially continue benefiting from that protection or at least have a more phased approach to reducing that. And then you have a split between, it's not always as simple, between people often talk about business and consumers. Consumers arguably supposedly standing to benefit more from tariff reductions and business wanting to keep those protections in place. That's very much not the case in this situation. I think what you have is the way business across a range of different sectors are looking at the consultation. I should say it's already closed. It was only open for a few weeks and I think that has to do with the negotiations the government's about to commence both with the EU and the US. But really the way that business is going to be looking at tariffs is what's the trade-off and the benefit of reducing to make inputs cheaper versus making it slightly more difficult, potentially in some cases a lot more difficult, to do trade with the EU. So there's a lots of different moving parts to this
0: discussion. Sue Davis, for consumers, presumably this is all fairly straightforward. The lower the tariffs, the lower prices for consumers, the better. Is that how you see it?
3: I don't think it's quite that straightforward. I think as a general point, I would say that It's really important that the government's trade policy delivers for consumers because, whether it's approach to tariffs or its approach to future trade deals, we're really going to feel that in terms of how it impacts on our everyday, day to day lives. I think you need to get a careful balance with the approach to tariff policy. On the one hand, if tariffs are lowered, then we could potentially see lower consumer prices. But obviously, it's not necessarily a direct link because it's very difficult often to see how the taxes that are paid on imports ultimately feed through complex supply chains to the end price that we pay as consumers. But clearly, reducing tariffs could be beneficial in terms of prices. But I think there's another side to it as well, which is how do we get the balance between also looking at the choice and variety that are available to consumers. So, while we're not here to be promoting or protecting particular industries, we know from our research that consumers often want to buy UK-produced products as well. So, in setting the tariffs schedule, there needs to be a careful balance between looking at where there can be opportunities to reduce prices for consumers, but also making sure that there's no adverse impact on particular industries that might be sensitive. And agriculture is always one that's particularly key there.
0: Rodney Ludimer, how much does the United States care about the level of UK tariffs? I mean, for example, the US is currently trying to negotiate a free trade agreement with the UK. So if Britain's most favoured nation tariffs came down fairly low that might make it less urgent for Washington to want to negotiate market access deals within the context of the MFN, perhaps?
4: Yeah, I would say that tariffs are not the primary uh, concern for most countries in dealing with the UK, simply because a lot of trade, particularly with the UK, is in in the area of services. And there are also a lot of non-tariff barriers that are of major concern in the context of a trade negotiation. But I do know for sure that, that the U.S. negotiators are paying attention to the preference margins that they will receive in any FTA that they were to sign with the U.K. So, to the extent that the proposal in question here is going to be reducing the MFN tariffs, they will be reducing those preference margins and therefore reducing the benefit that the U.S. would get from at least this part of the FTA. I, I seriously doubt that this would derail the broader efforts to create an FDA between the U.S. and the U.K., but at the margin, I think it's going to be a factor in terms of how much the U.S. would be willing to give up in order to uh, seal that deal.
0: Okay, so let's look at what the consultation is discussing in a bit more detail. Julia, DIT talked about the idea of simplifying the tariff structure. It talked about possibly eliminating nuisance tariffs. Now, what are nuisance tariffs and why might we want to get rid of them?
1: Yes. So the way that they talk about nuisance tariffs is any tariff that are two and a half percent or less. And it's essentially tariffs that are so small that they perhaps don't add much value, but they create a lot of bureaucracy and costs potentially for businesses. So the idea is to get rid of those uh, to make it simpler and easier for businesses to trade. So there's also in the consultation a proposal to round down tariffs according to the band that they're in. So, for example, a tariff on 12.2 percent will be rounded down to 10 percent or a A tariff of 78 would be rounded down to 70 and so on to make it into even bands. And that's, again, to simplify for businesses. Another proposal in the consultation to do with the simplification is to look at whether we could possibly simplify agricultural tariffs in the UK. So many agricultural tariffs are not measured in percentage terms, as many of the manufacturing goods are, which apply a simple percentage. But for agricultural products, often they, they levy a fixed charge per unit of a good. So that, for example, the EU's tariffs on bananas, which is 114 euros per tonne. And the difficulty with those kind of tariffs is that the the burden of the tariff varies with the price and it can vary from month to month even. So the consultation considers whether we could simplify those into moving to simple percentages as well.
0: Ali Renison, what is the business view on these? I mean, a nuisance tariff might be a bit of a pain from a bureaucratic point of view, but I suppose if you're trading on a tight margin, then a tariff of 2% or roundabout that could make quite a lot of difference in terms of, you know, how competitive you are.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it also goes to the heart, to some degree, of what Sue mentioned, I believe, earlier about understanding exactly how tariff savings are passed down through the supply chain. So you can't make an assumption across the board that that sort of cut is therefore applied in the exact same proportions to, let's say, a pair of Nike or Adidas trainers. And that's not necessarily you can't make that kind of assumption. However, generally speaking, the the conventional theory across the ages has been that if you significantly reduce the costs. The tariffs on trade between two countries, certainly, that will, uh, we saw it in, for example, after the EU struck a deal with South Korea, um, UK exports to South Korea increased tenfold. So the, the general theory is is that there is a cost saving there. So to answer the question that you ask about to what extent that's going to the nuisance tariff, for example, looking at that, it's going to make a big difference or not. It depends on whether, uh, you know, if looking into all the other price factors, cost factors, the variables that are going into a business's cash flow operation, you can't say for certain exactly how much that is going to be passed through to the consumer per se. But generally speaking, particularly I think if they're significant, you're more likely to see the saving passed on rather than just in smaller areas
0: Now, it's noticeable that the UK government has published its negotiating objectives for free trade agreements with the EU and the US, and then it has launched this consultation on most favoured nation tariffs. Why has it done it this way around? What can we read into that?
4: It is very interesting that these two things are happening roughly at the same time. I mentioned earlier the idea of this preference margin being a key bargaining chip for the UK when it comes to negotiating FTAs. You know, on the other hand, it's not a particularly valuable bargaining chip. If, for example, the EU or the US were to actually benefit from a preference margin resulting from this MFN tariff, the exporters from those countries would basically be free to raise their prices on products they sell to the UK up to the point you know, of the uh let's say, Chinese price subject to the tariff, by lowering the MFN tariff today, you minimize this possibility, this this possibility in in econ jargon is referred to as trade diversion, and by proactively reducing your MFN tariffs in the way that it's being proposed, you actually do uh, minimize some of the potential negative effects of signing these FTAs with the EU and the U.S., So I think it's actually, I mean, I don't know if if this is what they were thinking, but it seems like a pretty sensible thing to do from an economic point of view.
0: Sue, the consultation just covers the UK's MFN tariffs. Do you think there's anything missing? Do you think that the consultation should have been wider and cover other issues as well?
3: Well, I think it's quite difficult to see from the way that the consultation has been set out exactly what the full implications are going to be for consumers, which is obviously our main concern. One important area is obviously the tariff rate quotas that will be set, that we currently have with a range of different countries. And that's something that is still to be determined. We know from the research that we've been doing, talking to consumers, that obviously one of people's main concerns is about the types of standards that we will have and that will be allowed as part of the trade deals that we negotiate with other countries. And so I think there's a really important interplay between the way that we set our tariffs going forward, but also the approach that we'll be taking within trade deals in terms of maintaining standards the way that we set our tariff schedule will also be really crucial in terms of the way that domestic industries will be able to compete potentially to cheaper imports that might be coming in. From the consultation so far, what is being proposed appears to be relatively minor adjustments in many cases and some things seem to make quite a lot of sense particularly where it suggested that tariffs would be removed where there is minimal or zero production in the UK but I think we need to be really clear about how we're defining that and what that might ultimately mean for consumers at the end of the day.
0: Now, we've already mentioned this question of preference margins. And this is a very important point, particularly for developing countries, because most developing countries currently have duty-free access to the EU and hence UK markets in any case, especially for sort of sensitive agricultural products. If these tariffs are reduced across the board, then bigger and more powerful countries will also get access to lower tariffs. And that might theoretically be to the detriment of the interests of these poorer developing countries. Now, do you think that's something which the government is intending to take into account in the tariff proposals which it eventually comes up with?
1: Well, I think it's it's a very important point, and it's exactly as you said, especially, I think, when we think about these products perhaps with zero UK production, so products that the UK doesn't produce at all. I'm thinking bananas, coffee, cotton, those kind of products are... Particularly the products that we import a lot from developing countries. Developing countries at the moment can trade on preferential terms with the UK through the generalised system of preferences or everything but arms schemes. So they are able to compete perhaps against richer countries by getting these preferences, being able to export to the UK cheaper. And if the UK eliminates tariffs on those products, then they might not be able to compete anymore. And that could be detrimental to those economies. So I think it is definitely something that the government needs to take into account when constructing its tariff schedules?
4: Yeah, I think that the main concern should be about the least developed countries. I think that, you know, when it comes to the developing countries as a whole relative to developed countries, I think it's the intention of the UK government to sign free trade agreements with many of its developed country trading partners. So then this preference margin issue relative to developing countries in the context of GSP would not be an issue. I think what's going to be an issue when you lower your MFN tariffs is that you favor larger developing countries like Brazil and China and India, perhaps relative to some of the least developing countries like Bangladesh and you know or Haiti or something like that. But those are really the countries that we should be most concerned about. And really, you are changing the competitive balance into the UK market with this reduction in MFN tariffs.
2: It's interesting that the U.S., Australia, New Zealand—you you hear a lot about the government now, Department for National Trade, talking about basically the fact that it's starting out with like-minded democracies. Because I think, were it some of the other countries that have been mentioned there, I know we're talking about sort of initially MFN tariffs, but in terms of who you then move to negotiate with and how it intersects with your MFN tariff schedule, it starts to become as controversial and contentious as the U.S. may be to do trade negotiations with. It's still not. Rough. Russia, Brazil. While there is concern amongst some of the agri-food parts of the economy about doing an agreement with the U.S., there you don't have the same sort of fear factor that you often hear talked about with respect to beef being produced to different standards. Is it fair to have moving tariffs on that? So I think in a way, the government's actually bought itself some breeding space by, by not, you know, even though it talks about wanting to be more global in orientation, not going for uh, sort of tariff-saving moves with countries that are quite contentious, both from an economic and a political perspective, to do that yet. And so I think one of the things that we're still really waiting to see, particularly as Brexit evolves in the near term, is who is the UK wanting to do, you know, deals to reduce tariffs with and why, for what purpose?
1: Another thing that is covered in the consultation, which we haven't really touched upon, is whether to set tariffs on intermediates to zero. And I think that's important. So far, the sort of simplification of tariffs that we've talked about, at least in our analysis, seems to make very little difference to the average tariff of the UK if that was implemented. But perhaps a bigger change would be this thought of setting tariffs on intermediates to zero. So the the underlying logic... Intermediates
0: being inputs to make other products that
1: you Exactly. So the underlying logic is that cutting tariffs on those inputs supports UK producers by meaning that they can produce at lower costs. They can produce these final goods at lower cost if they can import cheaper inputs and that might make them more competitive. And there are different ways of defining these inputs or intermediate goods and the, the consultation mentions three different ways. But I think that's important to just mention because it perhaps is one of the bigger changes that would come under this consultation.
0: In the context of the UK's trade relationship with the European Union, what are the implications of the UK having potentially MFN tariffs, which are significantly lower? We assume that they probably well they can't be any higher than those in the EU because they are bound at WTO level. But if they are significantly lower than those which apply in the EU, what will be the implications of that? I mean, there will be all sorts of ramifications for, for example, rules of origin, for the situation in Northern Ireland will become presumably that much more complicated the more the two tariff rates diverge.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, you you hit the nail on the head there with firstly mentioning rules of origin. And I think just in terms of understanding it from a business perspective, what's coming down the track that's really sea change for businesses to grapple with, purely by virtue of the fact that, you know, if the EU and the UK do not have the same external tariff schedule, generally speaking, either in part or in full, the rules of origin issue obviously doesn't kick in in and of itself. It's when the two are sort of doing its replacement deal to membership, to EU membership, which is this free trade agreement negotiations that are now underway. And obviously the big difference there is once those tariffs are are not aligned, unless, and I think that starts to get into some very tricky negotiations about what the the full extent of that would mean, unless the government is about to say, well, we have different tariffs in this basis to begin with, but in negotiations, we're going to align voluntarily to not only your sort of import tariffs where we want to avoid rules of origin, but also to all the things that would mean for third country trade agreements. Then it means that for, as one of our members put it to us, in looking to try and prepare for what a change from a customs union that we have in EU membership to an FTA is going to look like, suddenly, as he put it, a free trade agreement looks a bit less free, in fact, substantially less effectively. Not having the same alignment in external tariffs on goods coming in between the UK and the EU means that to continue benefiting from, even if the EU and the UK strike a trade deal that continues to eliminate all tariffs or avoids all tariffs and trade between the two, then you would still have to prove that a of your components don't come from countries outside of the UK or the EU, depending on accumulation, to continue attracting that zero tariff treatment.
0: Are tariffs really the most important thing for business or is it, are regulations and standards really the core thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they each play their own part. And it depends on which setting you're talking about. And again, I go back to the fact that this is such not a standard situation for business or government to find itself in. It has a a sort of multiplicity of moving parts to think about. Generally speaking, you know, in a trade agreement, I think that to some degree, sometimes when people talk about even if you're negotiating with the U.S., it's not the sort of the be all and end all because of the share of services that are traded and the sort of starting barriers are fairly low, even on tariffs. Having said that, I think with the U.S. government, particularly this administration, tariffs are something that you get in in many negotiations that it becomes that one thing not to budge over and to get your trading partner to move on something else if you want them to to be able to benefit from from no tariffs with your countries. So on the one hand, tariffs can make a sizable difference both to trade with the rest of the world. If you think about India, where the tariffs on whiskey are upwards of 100%, um, that can be prohibitively expensive for you trying to crack into a market. Having said that, tariffs are a um, I know we haven't gotten into trade defense measures yet but they are a calculable quantity for most businesses I talk to you know while on the one hand the last thing they want is tariffs of epic proportions in agriculture that can lead to tariffs on all sorts of things not just the products that you trade but at the end of the day in terms of trying to Prepare for negotiations with the EU and the, what they will yield. I think it's a lot harder for businesses to be able to put a number on what's the cost of customs related delays from not being in step on customs processes. And it's a lot harder to predict. So I think tariffs can end up doing a huge amount of damage, particularly from an unpredictability point of view in terms of the number. But at the end of the day, you can still sometimes predict the scale of that number with non tariff barriers. It's a lot harder to to anticipate what the impact of having those is going to be.
4: So I think that's exactly right. But I would also add that I think non-tariff barriers, regulations, standards, all these things are probably much more important for affecting trade flows than tariffs are. But tariffs are something we know how to negotiate over. When you start negotiating things like common standards and regulations, you get into a whole thorny set of issues that, you know, that go well beyond trade. And I think governments don't do those negotiations particularly well, because there are so many competing interests. The tariff negotiations are pretty straightforward. We've been doing them in a fairly standard way for centuries. And so I think it's something we know how to deal with, which is why we tend to focus on them in the context of a trade negotiation.
0: Okay, so we've covered a lot of ground, and there's probably quite a few other things that we could have covered, given time. But I'm just going to draw things towards a conclusion there by asking each of you a possibly unfair question in the now-traditional trade-bytes manner. What difference do you expect this consultation to make? How different do you expect the UK's tariff schedule will look at the end of it compared with what we've got at present? How different would you like it to be? And in which areas will we actually notice the difference? Sue, what's your take on this?
3: I think at the moment it's quite difficult to see exactly what the true implications will be of the consultation. I think on one level, it appears that there could be quite minimal changes. But as we've discussed, I think when you look into some of the detail about what we're talking about when we're talking about removing tariffs on certain types of products that aren't produced in the UK, such as exotic fruit, for example, or we're looking at what approach we might take to inputs that then feed into quite complex supply chains, it's difficult to see what it will actually mean in terms of whether it affects how much money we're left with when we go shopping or not. So, that's something that we think really needs to be set out. It's obviously also difficult when we're looking at what the approach will be to the free trade agreements that are going to be quite crucial, particularly, obviously, the one with the EU, where we, at the moment, enjoy free and frictionless trade. So, I think um, it's important that as I've emphasised, that the government really prioritises and fully understands what consumer interests are when they're looking at how they actually take forward the responses that they've had to the consultation?
2: I mean, I think... I'm going to answer in an unfair manner by giving two completely different (laughs) answers, if I'm honest, just to explain, I think, the rationale and parameters this government's looking at all this stuff through. On the one hand, I think the outcome of this could be minimal in terms of changes. I think the tariff schedule could be kept very close to the way it is now because of the not wanting to give away too much to countries that we may be negotiating with. On the other hand, you know, and give yourself as much flexibility and wiggle room in terms of what you end up doing with the EU and the U.S. as possible. On the other hand, I think this is a government that is very keen to show that it is doing something differently because of Brexit. And the easiest way of doing that, that people seem to understand, is cutting its tariffs. So conversely, I think we could also end up with a situation where maybe not on agriculture, but I think on tariffs on things that we don't produce, you could see things going very quickly from what they are currently to zero if the government is so minded to make a point of we are doing things differently because of Brexit.
1: Yeah, I don't have much to add to that. I think those both are brilliant points. I think it's something that we would say probably is perhaps for the reasons that we've discussed to think about not you know not making changes for the sake of it i think as ali said i think there is this wish to to make these changes to the tariff schedule because we you know the uk can now or, or soon will be able to to do it at least and perhaps it's important to take a step back and really do the thorough analysis of exactly the things that we've touched upon, what will be the impact on consumers, producers, and so on, at a very detailed level before making these changes, so that we don't end up making changes for the sake of it that actually don't have the effects that we think that we were thinking in the first
0: place. Rodney, any thoughts from yourself?
4: Yeah. So I don't know where this is all going to end up, but, but when I look at the proposals, there are a few things that I think are underestimated in terms of their importance. I think that The nuisance tariffs uh, elimination is actually quite a bit more important than it's sort of being made out to be. I think that when you call them nuisance tariffs, it's like, oh, yes, they're trivial and we just want to get rid of them. I mean, by my calculation, about a quarter of all tariff lines would fall into this category. So we're talking about a big chunk of the tariff lines that would actually go to zero under this proposal. And moreover, because the tariffs are relatively low on these products, I haven't done the calculations yet, but I think it would be a very substantial proportion of U.K. imports. And so, you know, the U.S.'s tariffs on passenger automobiles is 2.5 percent, which would be considered a nuisance tariff under this proposal. We just spent, you know, we just spent the last two years renegotiating NAFTA. And this was the entire topic of conversation So a 2.5% tariff on a high value product like an automobile is not a trivial amount of money and it's not irrelevant for uh, companies involved in the trade. So to me, that's a pretty big deal that's being kind of undersold that to me looks like a fairly substantial change. And then cutting tariffs to zero on intermediate inputs, I think is also uh, could be quite important. So I don't see these as trivial changes to the tariff schedule at all.
1: And I'll just quickly add, because we have done some of those calculations, just to, I think, exactly to reiterate those points. I think at the moment, about half of what the UK imports from these countries that faces MFN tariff are in products that have zero tariffs. If we did this getting rid of the nuisance tariffs and rounding tariffs down, then that would increase to, and of course... Assuming that trade flows don't change, which they probably will, but under the current structure, that would be about over 70 percent of imports from those countries would be tariff free. And if we add the uh, putting in inputs to zero, then we would be up at something like 85 percent of UK's imports from those MFN countries. And that's probably an underestimate because likely, you know, those countries will shift into the products that have have lower tariffs. So that might be um, at the lower bound of what
0: we can see. So, the changes could be potentially be quite significant by the sound of it. Well, there we have to wrap it up. Many thanks to our guests today to Julia Manton Garrett, to Rodney Ludemer, to Ali Rennison, and to Sue Davis. Thank you very much for your thoughts and your insights. And as always, many thanks to all of you for listening in. Join us next time on Trade Bites. Please subscribe to our Trade Bites podcast series brought to you by the UK Trade Policy Observatory with funding from the Economic and Social Research Council.